Okay, welcome. Good, good evening. Um, this week is Parshas Kisavo. Very special week. Um, so the Parsha opens up with a very beautiful mitzvah. First of anybody that wants to dedicate the class, it's available. You can do that. Just let me know if you like the class. You can grab it retroactively. It's always a big schus. Okay. Here we are. Um, it would be good to use a chumash today for those who uh, can. <laughs> no, you, of course you will. Okay, so um, this week's parsha opens up with a very special mitzvah. The mitzvah of Bikurim, which is the mitzvah of the first fruits that are brought as a gift to God. For every landowner in the land of Israel, once a year we would take all the, the best. It was a sign of gratitude, of an amazing display of, of, of thank you, of gratitude to Hashem, in which we would come, all, all the Jewish people would come to the temple. Anytime during the summer, generally, would start from the holiday of Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuos, and all the way till the holiday of Sukkot. And people would come, farmers would come from across the land of Israel in song and in dance and in an incredible feeling of, of thankfulness to Hashem. One of the most beautiful mitzvahs that there were is the mitzvah of Bikurim. So that's the opening of the Torah verse that spans the first couple of, of, of verses. It's the first parsha, if we would say. Um, how the person comes and he places the basket of the best fruits from the seven uh, types of um, vegetation fruits that the land of Israel was blessed. And then that goes for the first 11 verses of this, pas- of this parsha. Then after that comes the second mitzvah. Second mitzvah begins in verse number 12. Chapter 26, verse 12, this is, would be the second reading, Shani, which is talking about a mitzvah that was done twice in the sabbatical. Actually, not sabbatical, twice in a Shemitah, in a Shemitah cycle. A Shemitah cycle. Actually, it's a mitzvah that was done this year. And had the temple been standing, it would have been done this year during Chalamod Pesach. During the intermediate days of Passover that passed a few months ago, of this particular year, because this year is the sixth year of the Shemitah. We are entering into this coming year, the up and coming year, is going to be a Shemitah year in the land of Israel. It's the seventh year, you have to let the land rest. So this particular mitzvah, it's called cleaning out the miser, biur miser, and vidui miser. What it means is that uh, there is a mitzvah to tithe, that one has to give various different tithing. There's the first tithing, the second tithing, and that means that a farmer, after he gives the first fruits to Hashem, and after he gives the next um, portion he has to give to the Kohen, to the priest, as a gift, called Teruma, after that he has to give to the Levites. And that's the first tithing. He has to take a tenth of everything that grows and give it to the Levium. But then the, he wasn't done with that. Then he had to separate a second tithing. 
from what's left over, you take another tenth of grain, grapes, um, olives, figs, uh, various different things. And, okay, we'll soon see if all this is biblical. In any case, you give, you give a tithe, you take the second tithing, and that, the owner gets to eat it himself. It's called the second tithing, but he has to do it in Jerusalem. That means you must take a tenth of everything that grows in your land, bring it up to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, and over there, you can either eat those fruits itself, or you can exchange them for other food items, like animals, and offer them as sacrifices, and then take some of those meats home and celebrate with your family. But it must be eaten in Jerusalem. What most people would do is it would be a big schlep to take all this grain, especially a person with a large farming, a, large, a lot of produce. So you, the Torah also gives you the option to exchange it for money. So you take the holiness off the fruit. First you have to separate and make and, and proclaim it, that take a tenth and make it uh, holy. That's by declaring it miser, the sanctuary, uh, um, the, um, you know, uh, sanction it, separate it, uh, make it, make it, make it holy. And it belongs to this, in a sense, it's a whole question in the Talmud if this is considered your money, if it's considered God's money, you just, once you sanction it, it's considered God's and now he lets you eat it. But the only thing is you can only eat it in Jerusalem. But again, most people wouldn't do that, so what they would do is they would take money, exchange the produce for money, and the money is easy to carry. Then they would take the money up to, to, to Yerushalayim, and in Jerusalem they would exchange the money and buy food again. You don't have to buy only fruit, you can buy any food item. It has to be food. Something that you will enjoy, and you, and you, and you end up um, 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 spending a couple of days in Jerusalem, having a couple of parties, and obviously there's so much to eat, you have, you have a lot of money of this if it's a lot, you would invite the poor, you would invite friends, you make a party, and it was a beautiful thing. So these are, these are the, the laws of tithing. Now, the second tithing was only done four years out of the Shemitah cycle. Four years out of the Shemitah cycle. Shemitah cycle means a seven-year period, which the entire land of Israel follows. And everybody's, everybody's, it's, 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 everybody's equal. There's no, it doesn't have to do with when you purchased your farm. Everybody works together. From when the Jews came into Israel, they counted six years. Seventh year was sabbatical, and the, uh, Shemitah. Seventh year, and then they would start it over again. So for four years, year number one, year number two, year number four, and year number five, you take the second tithing and you bring it to Jerusalem, called Meiser Sheni. However, in the year number three and in the year number six, you wouldn't do that. In year number three and in year number six, you would also do a second tithing, but it had a different name and, you, and, and its objective was different. Instead of the owner taking it to Jerusalem and eating it, it was distributed to the poor. Okay? So not every year the poor, man, the poor people got this particular gift. It was only on the third year and on the sixth year. This year the poor would have gotten that gift instead of taking it to Jerusalem. Okay. So now, here's the thing. You're not allowed to eat anything until you, give the, until you separate. Because we, until you separate the portions that you have to give, all the portions. The, the Bikurim, the, the first fruits that go to God, go to the temple. The second fruits that go to the priest. The, third, the tithe, first tithing that goes to the Levite. 
The second tithing or the tithing that goes to the poor, depending which year is, you're not allowed to eat from your fruit until you give all the tithing, all the gifts that need to be given, until you separate it. But you don't have to give it. In other words, once you separate it and you put it into a special vault or a special storage room or a special place in your house, in a room, and you separate it and you know where it is, then you are allowed to go and already eat and, 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 or sell, uh, you know, do commerce with, with the rest of the food. You're allowed to do that. You can do business with it as long as you separate it and designated it. Okay? So here is where this mitzvah comes in, the mitzvah that's discussed over here, which I'm not... All this that I told you right now is not discussed in this week's Torah portion. What's discussed in this portion is this part. What it's saying is that twice in the Shemitah cycle of seven years, you have to clean out the miser of your house. Or else the obligations will pile up, they'll sit and sit and sit and you'll never give them. So the Torah puts a, 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 a due date that by this day, you must get rid of all. That means you got to go to the Kohen if you had leftover truma that you never gave him. If you have to go to the Levi if you have leftover tithing that you didn't give him. You have to go to the poor man if you have the poor man's tenth and you didn't give them. Or you must take it to Jerusalem. By that time, it's due. Or else it's past its due date. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's not kosher anymore. It's, it's forbidden. It's a problem. You have to get it done by when? The Passover uh, of, I made a mistake, I made a big mistake before. I said it's the sixth year, it's wrong. You don't do it on the sixth year. You do it on the fourth year. I, I, I said this vidoy, this declaration of the tithing, I said is done on the third and on the sixth year. That's not true. It's incorrect. It's done on the fourth year and on the seventh year. But what you're doing it, you're doing it on is on the three years that passed. Instead, the, the, the tithing period works on, in sets of three. Three years is one set, and another three years is another set. But your obligation to actually have it distributed is the following year. So the fourth year, which is the, which is the beginning of the second cycle of three, on the fourth year, Pesach. Now, which day of Pesach? Not the first day Pesach. You have Chalamod. Which, which, which means the intermediate days, then you have the seventh day of Pesach. So it's the first, it's Erev, the second day of Pesach. It's uh, the Erev Shvishel Pesach. It's the day before Shvishel Pesach of the fourth year and Erev Shvishel Pesach, which means the day before the seventh day of Passover on, this, on the seventh year is when the, due, when the date, it's due date, and you must by that time have cleaned out all the miser. And in addition to that, the person would make a confession in the temple. I'm not sure if this confession must be said in the temple. No, I don't think so. Uh, the confession, I think, could be said anywhere. You confess. Now, it's not much of a confession. The confession, usually you admit that you did something wrong. This is a confession, but it's really an, a, a declaration. It's called a confession. But it's really a declaration that you're declaring to God, I cleaned out the holy from my house. Those are actually words that you say. I swept out the holy from my house. There's nothing holy anymore lingering by me. My dues, my, my duties that I have to give, all whatever is sanctified and holy, I now have 
removed it from my house. I've given the gifts to whoever I needed to give to. And therefore, I'm asking God from you, I've done mine, you do yours. Look down from heaven and bless us all. That's the special prayer that you would say twice every seven years, both always on Passover, in the sixth day of Passover. I think, I think there's an argument about when you say it, but I think... Uh, the halacha is it's on the sixth day of Passover. That's when you make the declaration. In the fourth year, you do it for the tithing of the three years prior to that. And on the seventh year, you do it on the, on, on the tithing that you were maybe gathering up in your house, house from year number four, year number five, and year number six. So when year number seven comes, you reach the due date by Pesach time, and you say that I've cleaned that. Just like we, so it's a sense. That Pesach, you don't only get rid of chametz, you also get rid of all the gifts that are in your house. Clean it out, and that, you don't have to wait till then. It's actually not so good to wait. You should give it right away at the first opportunity. But that's your final day if you're a procrastinator. That's your final day. You must have it out by then, so you should be able to make this declaration. That's the mitzvah, okay? So we have two big mitzvahs that are discussed in the beginning of this parsha. Now, that's the introduction. Now the Torah says, in verse, now this is by the third Torah reading. See, until now we discussed the first two Torah readings. Now we get to the third Torah reading, which is verse number 16, Pasuk Tezayin. Shlishi. The, the Pasuk begins with the words, Hayoimazeh, on this day, you can look inside. Again, chapter 26, verse 16, Tezayin. Hayoimazeh, Hashem Alekecho, Metzavcho, Lasois, Esachukim On this very day, God is commanding you to do all these laws, or all these statutes, Esamishpatim, and all these, all these laws. God is commanding you to do all of this today. So Rashi says it means, don't look at it as a commandment that happened many years ago. You should feel the pressure, or you should feel, not the pressure, you should feel the great fortune that God gave you a mitzvah today. Don't feel like them, don't ever feel towards a mitzvah like it's a stale commandment. It's fresh, it was just hot off the press. God just sent you this instruction so obviously when we get something new, a new instruction from God, we're super excited. So that's the way we're supposed to feel. Today, it's Hashem giving you these laws and these commandments. And then the Pasuk says, Vishamarta, you should observe them. Oisam, you should do them. With all your heart and all your soul. Obviously, if, if it's a mitzvah that was given to you today, we always know how excited to get with new stuff. We have a hard time with the old stuff. But the new stuff is always very exciting. So imagine Moshe comes down the mountain today and gives us a new mitzvah. Literally, let's say we know for sure it's Moshe. It's not an imposter or whatever. And Moshe gives us a new instruction from God. It would be like, whoa, everybody would be going crazy doing it like in the best way. So that's what it's saying. You should look at, view the mitzvah like it was given today. And therefore, v'shamarta, you should observe. Asisa oisam, you should do them. With all your heart, with all your soul. Okay. That's until we learn Rashi. Rashi, however, gives us a very interesting pirush on these last words. You should observe and do them. Instead of it being a commandment, how do we understand you should observe them and do them? As God is giving us instruction. Be careful. You should observe them and do them. I, I, I guess generally observing means 
make sure not to do it incorrectly, which means observing, more like a prohibition. Don't miss and then do them, is do, it, do them correctly, right? Fine. That would be the simple reading. And guess what? Mepharshim say so. The Evan Ezra, the Sephornu, all read that way. This is a command God is saying, so make sure to do them correctly. Rashi, however, diverges. Rashi tells us something beautiful. That in these words, you should observe them and do them is actually something magnificent. Super beautiful. I hope you can't wait to hear. It is really something special. And the crazy thing is, we glance over this every year and we don't even pay attention to the awesomeness of this. Rashi says this is not a commandment. God is not telling you anymore what to do. You've done everything. We're good already, you know. What this means is you should observe them and do them. It's a blessing. It's not just a regular blessing. It's a blessing that we would hear when we were in the temple. When a Jew would bring Bikurim, when a Jew would bring up this gift, this beautiful basket, and sing his way up to Jerusalem, and dance his way up to Jerusalem, and then put the basket down and bow down to God and be so happy and say, thank you Hashem for the great gifts you've given me. I, my heart is bursting with thankfulness, with gratitude. I want to give you something back. Here's my beautiful basket of fruit, the best I can do. I put little pigeons on the top. I decorated it. I made it as nice as I can. God, this is my beautiful bouquet of flowers for you. This is my thank you for you. And a Jew give, puts it down. Guess what? Rashi says. A heavenly voice would come out from heaven and would say to him, you brought the Bikurim now, you should repeat it next year. So like imagine, the Jew is standing there and he hears this echo, this voice from heaven, it's called a baskol. Baskol generally means like an echo sound. He would hear an echo sound coming from above, which would tell him, you, 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 you brought Bikurim, thank you, you should repeat it next year. So Ushamarta, you should observe and you should do it, is not commanding us, it's a blessing. You had a field, you have healthy feet, you have healthy arms, you were able to pluck these beautiful fruit and put it on your basket and you had to come to Jerusalem. I give you, it's like, you know, I'll tell you when we do that. When we take out the Sefer Torah on the Simchas Torah and we dance our kafas, it's that time of the year. When people take out the Torahs uh, by, 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 by um, Yom Kippur, so by, by Kol Nidre, you always hear people, there's a bracha that you kiss the Torah, everybody goes over to kiss the Torah. I don't know, on the women's side you don't hear it so much, but on the men's side is that there's a minhag, you tell the person who's carrying the Torah, usually they sell it, it's a kibbutz, you tell the person carrying the Torah, Mierz Hashem Ibedayor. What that means, Be'ezus Hashem, next year you should also do this mitzvah. You did it now, you carried the Torah. Next year you should also, obviously Yom Kippur, you want to give a person a blessing that he should live to see next year and he should have the Koyach next year to carry a Torah again. And the same we say when people dance with the Torah on, on, on Simchas Torah. We tell them, this year hakafis, bless that next year you should be able to dance hakafis. So God is giving that blessing to every Jew who comes to the Beis HaMikdash. God says, <laughs> With God's help, there's an echo sound. Let me read you the Rashi. I'm not making it up. Shamarta vasisa oisam baskol mevarchasai. A echo, baskol means a heavenly voice. Mevarchasai gives him a blessing. Havesa bikurim hayoim. You brought bikurim today. Tishne, you should repeat. Lishana haba next year.
This is the way Rashi learns it. Now, obviously, when you would learn this, there's nothing in the Pasuk that, makes, that, that, would, that would make you think this. I mean, the simple reading of the Pasuk is, God has commanded you these commandments today. You better observe. Now, first of all, most Jews always think that God is angry. So when, my, the, the, when they read the Pasuk, immediately they're feeling that God is yelling. He's upset about something. He's yelling about something. He's upset. And he, or he's pointing his finger and he's going, hey, you better do it. <laughs> We're not used to thinking that it's a beautiful, loving God who's telling us beautiful things. <laughs> so the natural way of reading this would be, if anything, it's a stern warning, a shmarta. <laughs> you better observe it. You better do them. So Rashi is lightening up. First of all, he tells you, it, this, this, this is not Hashem, this is not even an instruction. This is a blessing. And this is a beautiful blessing that God blessed every person who came to the temple, who brought the Bikurim, and Hashem said, you should repeat next year. So the question obviously is, Rashi is beautiful, but this would be very nice in a, in a nice Hasidic uh, teaching. <laughs> but Rashi is giving you the simple, simple pirush. Where does Rashi suddenly diverge? Where does he take this? Who tells Rashi that this is a blessing? It, 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 that's not the simple reading. Ushmarta sounds like pretty much one of these fingers, you better do it. <laughs> where, where did Rashi suddenly have the, the, the conviction or where, what was the proof or what was the compelling element over here that compelled Rashi to say, different than other Mepharshim, that this is a blessing. So the Mepharshim say, Mepharshim, they give a beautiful explanation. They say, well, if you read the, this Pasuk and you want to fit it into the context of everything that's going on around it, you realize that it doesn't fit if you say it's a commandment. It fits much better if it's a blessing. For a simple reason. The instructions of bringing Bikurim and the instructions of cleaning out your house and making sure that you feel fulfilled by the due date, you've given the miser, all that the Torah is finished already, it completed. So much so, we're talking already about a person who's making the declaration and he's already asking God, look down from heaven. The psukim before that, Ashkifa, uh, Hashem, look down from heaven because I've done everything you told me to do. So we're dealing already after the fact. So once the mitzvah was done already, why would you have another time, uh, 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 a, 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 why would you suddenly, after the mitzvah was completed, be given another warning to do the mitzvah. It was done already. You know, if this Pasuk would exist, would come about three, three or four Pesukim before, when we're in the midst of giving instruction of the mitzvah, whether Bikurim or the mitzvah of giving all the tithing and the miser, okay, then we can say that this lines up with Hashem is inspiring you that what? You, you, that, that you should feel like you, 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 you're being commanded today and therefore you should really listen. But we're past that already. The mitzvahs were completed. We finished. In the last Pasuk we said already, the person said to, to Hashem, Ashkifam among, uh, the person says, not the last Pasuk, the Pasuk before that, I've done everything you commanded. So the guy is finished already. And he's even asking God to reciprocate. Look down from heaven and bless him. So why suddenly are we throw, now again warning? That's... Re in regards to the past, to the past psukim. Now let's take a look to the pasuk that follows it. 
Okay, remember, this Pasuk is sandwiched. So let's see what the next Pasuk is. The next Pasuk, Pasuk Yud Zayin, the continuation of this verse, which is verse number 17, continues with another blessing that God is blessing the Jewish people. And not only God is blessing the Jewish people, God seems to be very happy with us in the next Pasuk. It's one of the really, really great Pasukim where God is like really, really complimenting us. Yeah. We, as I mentioned, you know, we sometimes get caught up with those Pasukim that don't seem to be so complimenting. But here's a nice compliment. God says, Es Hashem you have designated God, to be your God. In other words, you have uniquely designated God from all the other powers of the world, or so-called, or make-believe powers that other nations have worshipped. You have designated God. You, you made God exclusive to be your God. And to go in His ways. And to observe His statutes and His commandments and His laws. And to listen to His voice. That means to follow Him. And therefore, therefore God pays you back. God has designated you to be His exclusive people. So you are, Hashem is exclusively yours and you are exclusively His. Hashem has exclusively designated you, that you will be His cherished people, like He commanded you. In other words, this is a beautiful marriage. God is saying, I love you to the exclusion of everyone else, and Hashem, and, 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 and we say, we love you, God, to the exclusion of everyone else. This is this you, you, you know, beautiful pasuk that discusses the, 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 deep, the deep commitment and, 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 um, and love that there is between Hashem and the Jewish people. And what you, another thing you see, not only a commitment between God and the Jewish people, but also that Hashem's commitment to the Jewish people is coming in reciprocation to exactly what we've done. He's doing exactly that. He's reciprocating perfectly to what we've done. But what does the verse say? It's actually using the same exact word. You, you, now interesting word, He'emarta and He'emircha, which means exclusively designated. Rashi says that word has no other um, um, similarity in any pasuk. In other words, this is a pasuk. We don't have another word like this. This is a unique word that is found over here in all of scripture. And what does it mean? As Rashi explains, it means uniquely designated. Okay? So, what do you see from here? How is God responding to our, to our, to us in a manner? Is one of God's ways of dealing. We always have to remember, it's very important, that both in reward and God forbid the opposite of reward, God always acts with us what we call measure for measure. It's called midah keneged midah. Whatever we put out, our output, God deals with us. If we're happy, God is always happy with us. If we're always depressed, then God acts in a depressed way with us. That's, just, that's the rule. Um, God is your shadow. If you dance, your shadow will dance. That's what it is. If you're dancing through life, your shadow is dancing you through life with you. If you're whining and fetching and this and that, then your shadow does the same thing. So the Zohar says that God's face to you is exactly the way your face is. 
If you're in a good mood, happy, positive, you will draw down great positivity. And, that, and also reward. When we are kind, giving, charitable, God is kind and giving and charitable to us. When we're sensitive, God is sensitive to us. When we're forgiving, when we are forgiving, Hashem is forgiving to us. When we're patient with other people, Hashem is patient with us. When we give others the benefit of the doubt, the Ebershter gives us the benefit of the doubt. That's the way it is. So over here you see exclusively that Hashem is mamish. We designate Him exclusively. He designates. And He designates us. And He designates us exclusively. Okay? Therefore, therefore, what do we see over here? The next pasuk is not talking anymore about duties and commandments and expectations. You're following? The next pasuk after this is not about duties and expectations and instructions. The next pasuk after this is just about a compliment. God is complimenting us of how wonderful and how enamored He is by us. So since, so since this pasuk of Hayoim Hazeh, this day, is sandwiched between two verses that are not talking about instructions, Rashi felt it would be very out of place to suddenly give you again a finger and say, you better listen. You know, one of those struck the fingers was saying, oh, you better listen. Rashi feels that the context of the pasuk in the middle of a year is one of blessing. So therefore Rashi says, oh, so that, therefore Rashi changes from its regular meaning that it means an instruction, but rather it's actually a blessing. And not only a blessing, it's a measure for measure blessing. God gave you a lot of blessing, and what did you do? You took those blessings and used it to serve God. You, took, you filled the basket of your blessings. That's what it is. You, you load up a basket full of your most precious blessings that God gave you, and you're bringing it to Hashem. So now you reciprocate it to Hashem, and now God reciprocates again back to you. He says to you, you did this blessing you brought something to God. God will give you all the blessings again so that you'll be able to repeat this next year again. So therefore, there's a heavenly voice that comes out and says, you did it this year, you'll do it next year again. And that makes a lot of sense. Beautiful. That's what the Mepharshim say, many of the Mepharshim, to explain the idea of why Rashi changed the context of the, of the Shmarta Vasisa, which should have been read as an instruction and instead puts it as a blessing. The Rebbe adds, for that reason, Rashi actually, if you look at the words of Rashi, this will explain something else. Rashi uses in his words for the blessing. What does it say? Look, look back into the Rashi. In the Rashi that we were reading before, Vashmarta Vasisa Oisam, Rashi says, an echo voice, a heavenly voice gives us a blessing. You brought Bikurim today. Tishne, you should repeat. 
So the question is, why does Rashi use that word tishne? you should repeat? It should have been a better word. Hevesa bikurim ayoyim. You brought bikurim today. Tavi l'shana haba. You should bring next year. No? Tavi. You brought now. Bring next year. Or another word. Use the word of the Pasuk. What does the Pasuk say? Vishamarta, you should observe. Vaasisa oisam, you will do them. So Rashi should say, Hevesa bikurim ayoyim. You brought bikurim today. Tase l'shana haba. You should do next year. Or you will do next year. Vaasisa l'shana haba. I don't know the right diktuk, but something like that. You will do it next year. Why does Rashi change and he uses the word tishne? Tishne means you should repeat. The answer is because we just said, since the, the energy in these psukim, what's the energy of these psukim? What is the feeling we get over here? What, are, what is dancing off the page? We're getting the sense that God is acting to us very much measure for measure. He's reciprocating. And, the, and that Hashem acts in a way of midah keneged midah, measure for measure, which is something as we're soon going to speak even more in the mitzvah of Bikurim. It's very pronounced, this idea of measure for measure. The whole mitzvah is that we do something similar to what God has done for us. We act in the same way. We, we're, we're, we're reciprocating. So God is reciprocating. And therefore Rashi wants to emphasize that. And therefore Rashi says, you did it this year, you will repeat next year. The repetition of something, but this time it's a blessing. Because we want to repeat it. See, there's two parts to it. There is maybe a little bit of a schlep. You got to take it. You got to bring it up. But the blessing is you'll have healthy feet. You'll be healthy. You'll be able to come to the base of English. You'll have an abundance of fruit from where to bring the Bikurim. You'll have a great farm. You'll have great produce. You'll have the most beautiful fruit. You'll be able to bring it to Hashem. So that's why the Pasuk is Tishne. Rashi uses the word you should repeat. Because that emphasizes even more how this is exactly equivalent to the next Pasuk, which says, you exclusively designate God as your God by, in, in, your, in your observance as a Jew. God exclusively designates you as His people to take care of you in an exceptional manner from all the other nations. So you see, so that's why it fits really nice into the Pasuk. Givaldic, everything is great. We can stop over here. Now, however, we got to go a little deeper. A little deeper. Here is the question. The question is as follows. Good, I got it. Rashi does not want to learn over here that this is what? That this is a commandment. That would be out of place. But, but hold it. Rashi says that this is a heavenly voice that comes out and tells us that we're going to repeat next year. What? Bikurim. Now Bikurim, which is the special mitzvah of this week's parasha, remember the beginning of the class? Bikurim is the first part the first subject, the first mitzvah in this Torah portion. But this psukim, that's, and I'll, I'll, to make it clearer, that's from the, the first reading, from the first reading until Shani, until the second aliyah. But the second aliyah until the third aliyah wasn't talking about Bikurim. It was talking about the mitzvah of cleaning up your miser, cleaning up your tithing. All the due, the due gifts that you have to give that are piling up in your cellar, in your basement, in your storage house, all that stuff, you got you to gotta distribute it. That was the last mitzvah. So even if we say that right now there is a blessing coming from above where the blessing is telling us you did it last year, you should did it this year again. How 
does Rashi know that this blessing is a blessing that is referring to you did Bikurim, you should do Bikurim again? Maybe it's a blessing coming. You cleaned up your house from all the misers. You should do that. You should repeat it again. You should again be able to give the miser. That too is a blessing. You have all the tithing. And you have to have a farm. And you have to have a successful farm. Things have to grow so you can give the Kohen and the Levi and the first tithing and the second tithing. So imagine someone gives tzedakah. He gets, he makes a big deal. He made $100,000 on a good deal. So he takes 10%, $10,000, and he writes a check for tzedakah. Right away. Doesn't want to wait. Right away, writes a check for tzedakah. And he hears a heavenly voice and says, oh, next deal you do, the same, you should do it again. Oh, that's a beautiful blessing. That means I'll give another deal of 100,000, and I'll be able to give another 10,000 for tzedakah. Beautiful. So that, that would make more sense, because then the pasuk would be a continuation to what was before now we have to say that this Pasuk is talking about suddenly we're going back two portions in the Torah where the Torah generally is kind of carrying some narrative why are you suddenly jumping back two parshas back to the story of Bikurna when the last portion was and you could have said the same explanation regarding Miser and not Bikurna and if you're going to argue and you want to say that what, that maybe Taka meaning maybe maybe when Rashi says you did this year you should do it again it means Bikurim and Miser Maybe it's not only Bikurim. Even though Rashi says, hey, they saw Bikurim, maybe it means both. You brought Bikurim, you gave your tenth, you, you, gave, you gave all the tithing, maybe it means both. Rashi excludes that. Why? First of all, he says Bikurim. But even more, he says, he says, you should repeat it next year. Doesn't say repeat it again, repeat it next year. Now, the mitzvah of, 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 of cleaning out your house from all the miser is not a yearly thing. It's something that happens every three years. You get all the tithing that's piling up in your house. You have to clean it out. That's what we spoke earlier. On the f after three years, you do it on the fourth year. And then after another three years, you do it on the seventh year. And then you start over the cycle of Shemitah again. So it's something that is done only once every three years. Not every year. So by Rashi saying the blessing is telling you you will repeat it next year, he's clearly telling you that he's referring only to Bikurim and he's not referring to tithing. So back to our question, why even though we have a compelling reason to learn that this is a blessing coming from above where God blesses us for a special thing, but who, what forced Rashi to go and, and, and connect this all the way back to what's before, or at least he should have left it at both. Bikurim and Miser. Now technically, technically, let me say one more thing. We can't, now, we could argue, it's not such a big question, because we technically could argue, part of cleaning out your house from all the gifts is actually also Bikurim. If you separated Bikurim and you never brought it, so one of the things you have to do when you clean out your house, and actually when you're declaring, when you are declaring, I cleaned out my house from everything, actually one of the words you say, even though you don't specifically, explicitly mention Bikurim and Truma, it's hinted to in the words. Rashi says earlier, when the person is making his so-called confession, what's his confession? That I did everything, which he does that day. He says, We go back to verse number 13, Yud Gimel. You should say in front of God, I cleaned out the holy from my house. 
I also gave to the Levi. So the word gam means also. And it comes to add something. So Rashi says, what does it mean, I also? Rashi tells us back down over here. That means also truma, which is not mentioned explicitly. Truma you give to the Kohen. That too. And ubikurim and bikurim. So included in this declaration that I've given all my gifts, I'm, I'm clean, I gave it all, before you ask for God's blessing, is included bikurim. So bikurim is also mentioned in this last parsha. So we can't say that wow, bikurim is only discussed between <laughs> in the first portion, not in the second portion. Bikurim is mentioned, but very, very, very secondary. Definitely the main point is cleaning up the miser from your house. Because Bikurim, a person anyways, would bring right away because it would have to be fresh and you had to go immediately. It's the other stuff that you can sit and have it sit in your house for a long time. And that's the main mitzvah of cleaning out the miser. So if that's the case, why is Rashi then learning that this blessing is referring to the miser, not to the Bikurim? Okay. So the Rebbe gives a very, very, very beautiful answer. Just on a simple level, it's just so beautiful. And then later we get into the mystical element of it, which makes it like really super great. But just on the simplest of levels, he says a simple thing. This is a heavenly voice coming down, blessing the person. What's the blessing? You did a good job, you should do it next time again. So Bikurim, a guy brings Bikurim, he did a wonderful job. He came to the base mission with the Bikurim. The whole mitzvah of Vidu Imaiser, even though everybody says it, at that time. But the mitzvah vidamais is basically telling you that the procrastinators can wait until three years until they clean out, until the poor man get their thing and the levy gets it and so on and so forth. So there's not going to be a blessing that God is going to give you. You're procrastinated this year, you should procrastinate again next year. <laughs> to give a bracha on the vidamaiser, and maybe that's why it's called a confession. A confession means it took me till three years till I finally paid up the thing. <laughs> so that's the idea of the confession. That it's so that the Abishter say that to, 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 he says to go and say that that's the Abishter's bracha. Especially since we want to say it's midah keneged midah, like it's like. And to add to that, it says you should observe. The part of the blessing is you will observe it and you will do it. You will do the mitzvah with all your heart and all your soul. When you're doing something with all your heart and all your soul, you get it done pretty fast. When do we procrastinate? When our heart is not into it. But things that we're, we're very passionate, excited about, we get it done immediately. Your taxes, you wait till April 15th to pay. <laughs> and, 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 and then you still, you still can send in a, a uh, whatever, to pay it till August, whatever. Because no one wants to pay taxes. But there's certain things that you want to do immediately because you're excited about it. So if you're serving God with all your heart and all your soul, you're not going to go bring. You're not going to go do the, the, the cleaning out the mice or the last minute. So because, that's just simple. So that's how we knew that we're not talking about this. Couldn't be a blessing because that wouldn't be a nice thing to even say. It's just so simple. That, yeah. So that's why it couldn't be referring to the bikurim. I'm sorry, it couldn't be referring to the mice. It's referring to a Jew who's coming to the base of Migdash and bringing bikurim. God is blessing him. Even though the Bikurim is discussed earlier. That's enough of a compelling reason. To add to that, to add to that, as as follows. Even though the last Parsha is the Parsha of cleaning out Miser, 
and not the Bikurim. Cleaning out Miser and not the Bikurim. But the last, actually last words that are mentioned right before Shlishi, right before this Pasuk, actually is more connected to Bikurim than it is to Miser. Miser meaning the Vidoi Miser, the confession of the tithing. Why? What does the Pasuk say? Like you swore to our fathers. Well, let, let me read you the last verse. I, I, you should get the context. The person is who, who's cleaning out his, um, who's, who's standing after, after, after every set of cro three crop years. And then he's standing and he's making his declaration, God, I fulfilled all my commandments. What is, he's lifting his eyes up to heaven and he says, God, I've done mine, now I would love you to do yours. That's what we say. Here's the pasuk. Hashkifa, look down. Memoin kachacha from your holy abode, menashamayim from the heavens. Ubareches amcha Yisrael, bless your people Israel. The esa adamashenasatolano, bless our land. It's a beautiful prayer. You're asking God bless us and bless the land. Kashenishbatolavisenu, like you have sworn to our fathers, Eretz zavas cholav udvash, a land that flows milk and honey. You swore to our fathers, you're giving us a land that flows milk and honey, so make sure to keep this blessing so that it should really flow milk and honey. Obviously we understand to have a land that flows milk and honey is a divine blessing. So we're asking God for that blessing. So these last words, a land that flows milk and honey, is something that connects much more to Bikurim than to Miser. Bikurim meaning the first fruits that you bring to the temple versus the general mitzvah of tithing all your crop for a simple reason. The, what, is, what does it mean, a land that flows milk and honey? A land that flows milk and honey, milk is referring to, Rashi says, goat milk. A lot of goats in the land of Israel. Maybe cow milk too, but I think Rashi particularly emphasizes goats. A lot of goats and a lot of milk flowing from the goats. Fine. What does it mean, honey? It's not bee honey, even though we're coming into the season of honey for Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah, we ought to take precisely bee honey for various different reasons. But the honey that we're talking about in the land of Israel is the honey from dates, date honey. Okay? And what does it mean, it flows honey. Flowing honey means there are super juicy dates. That when you just pluck a date and you touch it, and it's suddenly your hands are getting sticky with honey. The honey is like oozing. It's oozing honey. That's the idea of land that flows milk and honey. Now, Bikurim is a mitzvah that you're supposed to bring from the first. Now, milk, you don't bring Bikurim. You don't bring bottles of milk. Your dairy, milk, that's not part of the Bikurim process. So Bikurim is not related to the milk. But the honey, yeah. Because the, the honey uh, is, 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 is coming from dates. And dates are one of the... What do you give Bikurim from? Bikurim is only accepted from the seven fruits that Israel was blessed. Which is wheat, barley, uh, figs, grapes, dates, pomegranates, and olives. Okay, those them. So that's what you bring. You don't bring from anything else. So honey is one of them. And more, oozing honey. Because which fruits do you use for Bikurim? Only the best. Actually, it says that 
If you're living in different parts of Eretz Yisrael, you would emphasize in your Bikurim particular fruits that are really good in that part. So you, won't, you don't take um, 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 dates from mountainous regions because the mountains don't give good dates. The dates that grow in the mountains are not good. The dates that grow in, in, in the valleys and low areas are much better for whatever reason. So therefore, in Bikurim, the halacha says, don't bring any, any dates from Which means, in Bikurim, we're emphasizing the idea, zavas cholov udavash. Not cholov, but at least devash is an emphasis in Bikurim. But in tithing, now, rabbinically, we're supposed to tithe all vegetables, everything that grows. It's a Mishnah talk, the Mishnahis talk about it, but that's rabbinic. Biblically, you're only, it's an argument among the poskim, but Rashi is of the opinion. First of all, that the simple meaning of the Pasuk is for sure that way, but Rashi even holds so halachically. Rashi and Gemara and Talmud also holds them. That the biblical mitzvah for tithing is only of grains, grains, Grapes, wine, and oil. That's it. Tithing you only do from these three things. Wine, oil, and, and grain. Nothing else. The rabbis came and added on an obligation to tithe everything. And obviously if you tithe everything, it includes even the dates. But biblically you have no obligation to tithe um, 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 dates. If so, this Eretz Zavas Cholavidvash has nothing to do with tithing because in the midst of tithing, you don't, use, you don't use neither milk and neither the Devash, neither the honey. But in Bikurim, you do use. So in the last words, actually, it fits more with Bikurim and, and even more so. My sir, tithing, you don't, has nothing to do with gratitude for the good land. It's an obligation. You have to take care of the needy. You give your, your miser. In Bikurim, it's emphasized. The whole mitzvah of Bikurim is the mitzvah of thank you. Bikurim is a mitzvah of gratitude. And what's the gratitude? God, you gave us the best land. That's the emphasis. And that's what the Jew actually says when he brings Bikurim. You took us from the land of Egypt, and from such hardship, from such difficulty. You brought us to this most beautiful land, the most this magnificent country. And you've given us all the blessings. And we actually mentioned it. You've given us a land that flows milk and honey. And that's the reason, that's the impetus, that's what's supposed to inspire the person to bring the Bikur. Comes out that when you're mentioning in the last words, is more applicable to Bikurim than it is to, than it is to the Miser, to the tithing. So even though the general parsha is talking about Meiser, and even this that the man says, is part of what you say after you finish cleaning out your Meiser, your tithing, but still the flow of the words into the next Pasuk is more to Bikurim than it is to, to Meiser. So therefore it would fit that Rashi is saying that the blessing that God is giving is to the Bikurim Jew when you're bringing the Bikurim and not to the tithing. Okay, brings us, however, to the last and most best question in all of this before we get into the mystical side of it. And here's the best thing. But then he asks the most simplest and most powerful question. I'm upset I didn't ask it earlier because then it would be part of the questions. Now I have to throw it in the end, but it's like the best. He says, I don't understand. This is the Rebbe's question. He says, this is like, the, he calls it a klotz kasha. Klotz kasha means it's like the obvious question. 
There's a lot of times in the Torah God says, if you do so, the Torah, the Torah promise you, you'll get so. Honor your parents, you'll live a long life. Send away the mother bird, you'll live a long life. This week in the Torah portion, further in the parsha, there's a whole series of blessings. God says, if you keep the commandments, I'll bless you. You're blessed in the city, you're blessed in your house, you're blessed when you go in, you're blessed when you go out. All those famous pesukim, it's all, I think it's here. Yeah, Baruch, is a bunch, a whole bunch of blessings. Then there's a whole bunch of the opposite of blessings that come later in the parsha. But there is a bunch of blessings. For what? For keeping Torah mitzvahs. Who's blessing? God is blessing. How do you know God is blessing? It says so in the Torah. Is there a heavenly voice? Is there an echo? No echo. The Torah says so. Where did suddenly Rashi get this idea that when the Torah... I understand. Ushmarta vasisa means that you can't learn it's another commandment. That we discussed earlier in the class. You can't say it's another commandment because then it would be out of place. Out of place. So it's not a commandment. In order for it to fit in the flow of the verses, it's a blessing from above. Yeah, good blessing. But where do we suddenly pipe up over here with the story of a heavenly voice and an echo voice that comes out from the heaven that says, if you did so and so, who's talking about an echo? Where do we, I mean, it's, meaning if you want to say that in the Zohar it says so, it's nice. The Zohar gives you a mystical, even then you would have to know where does the Zohar take it. Where does the Zohar say that when a Jew stood in the base of me? Meaning, where do you derive it from the Pasuk? Definitely when you're, when you're learning it, when you're learning Rashi, who's sticking to the simple interpretation, you need to have some indication that there is a heavenly voice that you hear from the sky telling you, next year you should repeat and come back again. Where did this, where did this come from? How did we get to this? How did Rashi get to this? And here's this simple, brilliant answer again. It's just so brilliant and so simple. The whole idea of Bikurim is what? What did we say earlier? We kept on saying the whole mitzvah of Bikurim is a mitzvah of reciprocation. God is nice to you, we're nice to Him. That's it. God is super benevolent to you, you're super benevolent to God. That's why when you bring Bikurim, it's one of those mitzvahs that you're supposed to do it as beautiful as you can. And do it in the most happiest, joyous way. And they would decorate their baskets and they would do it and they would have musical instruments, accompaniments and they would pick special songs. And when the groups would come into Jerusalem, everybody would stand up and welcome them. They would sing and dance their way. It was such a beautiful procession. It was something magnificent. It's one of the most saddest things that we don't have. The mitzvah of Bikurim now, which is one of the most beautiful things that are going to come back in the Beis HaMikdash. But here's the question. So, so it's, and it's a reciprocation. And you emphasize, when the person brings the Bikurim, Bikurim, he would make, every person who brought Bikurim had to, had to read something. And in later days, they knew some people couldn't read, so they didn't, they took it away. No one would read. They would have uh, a Kohen come with a Torah, and he would read it. And you would just listen, like an, like an aliyah. Because they were afraid, they don't want to embarrass the people that don't know how to read. But in the beginning, it was everybody would come and would read themselves and make this declaration. It was awesome. What would you say in that declaration? He said like this. You started with Egypt. We would remember where we were when we were in the ruts, when we were in the rut, when we were in the pits. And God took us out from there and changed us. So we're saying, you took us from a bad place, you brought us to a good place. So watch that. Measure for measure. You took me from a bad place, brought me to a good place. Measure to measure, I'm coming to your place. See, I'm schlepping up. I live 500 miles from, I live 200 miles from here. I made this long, long, long trek with my, with, with my, with this. It took me days to come and bring the Bikurim. 
God, I owe it to you. You took me from a bad place to a good place. Now I'm coming to thank you at your home. Elamakim, to God's place. Fine. What else? You gave me all these blessings. I am giving you. You take the basket, you put it down in front of God. Reciprocation. Midah connected me. But then there's another part to Bikurim. One more thing. Is in addition to bringing, there was the, there was the announcement that the person needed to announce and speak up loud. Rashi says you have to say it loud. You have to say, you have to speak in a loud voice and declare your thankfulness and your gratitude to God. It must be done verbally, loudly in an announcement. On that, there has to be a reciprocation. That's, that's like something else that the Jew does, which is part of, very much part of the mitzvah. Where's the reciprocation on that? I'm not talking about on what God did. I'm saying now that you're doing that, so there's the, whole, the whole Bikurim is set up on a system of reciprocation from, from Hashem to us, from us to Hashem. So where is the Vanisa? Where, where is the announcement? So therefore Rashi says immediately, a heavenly voice, and you announce, God also announces. Suddenly there is an announcement. <laughs> you announce and from above they're also announcing. Here there is a literal meeting of, of, of a total measure for measure. So there has to be an answer to the, and that's where Rashi took that there was a, but here's the problem. If it's God himself announcing it, who can hear? We, we, had, we had a time when we heard God talking. We had a time when we heard God talking. When did we hear God talk? At Sinai. But that was a one-time experience that we all got to hear Hashem talk. And it was a near-death experience, or let's even say it was actually a death experience. We all died hearing it, and then we have to be resurrected. It was too much, and we asked Hashem, please, we can't handle this again. But once was good enough. That's it. Only a prophet can hear God speaking. Moshe, we said, we, we said Moshe, you speak to Hashem, and, and, and you bring you the word of God. So if we're going to say that we announce to God, we can't really have God speaking back to us because we can't. So therefore Rashi says it's a basco. What's a basco? Basco means heaven is talking. Some echo. Basco is much less than Hashem saying. Basco is not a... It's, a, it's an announcement from above. That's called a basco. So I call it an echo. It's some kind of a... 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 Of a, of a um, communication from above. And that's the midah connected midah for the person's um, anisa, for the allowed announcement. That too God reciprocates on. What does God say? You brought it this year, you'll bring it again. But, with this the Rebbe answers something else. And he says actually on the bottom, <laughs> that's really cute. He says this, you can say, maybe he says it's actually a cute thing. He, he says, it's just a... He says, with this we'll understand something else. If Hashem promises to every person who brings Bikurim, you'll repeat and bring it back next year. So God said so. So how did it stop? <laughs> Anybody think of that? If Hashem always told the person who brings Bikurim, you'll bring it next year. So they're always... I'm not talking about the person dies, okay, person... I'm talking about how is it that the Jewish people stopped at a certain point that the temple was destroyed and we couldn't bring Bikurim. How, wasn't there a voice that declared last year that you'll repeat next year? Next year there's no temple because the temple was destroyed. Churban based on English. 
Good question. How can... It was a bracha from Hashem. Hashem gave a blessing. It didn't materialize. Here's another thing. Certain times, a person gets his land taken away from him. And who takes it away from him? The basin. Why does the basin take a person's land away from him? If a person borrowed money and he didn't have what to pay back, and he's in debt, sometimes the basin will go and will give the creditor right to take a person's land. All their real estate. Because they owe money. And they don't have what to pay. In that case, this guy is not going to bring Bikurim again. How can Bezdin ignore the announcement that God made last year, you'll bring next year, and the guy is not bringing Bikurim this year, because Bezdin took away his farm. Did Bezdin never think of that? This Bezdin should have asked him, were you last year there? Did you bring Bikurim? You heard the Basco? How would Bezdin go and violate what the Abish did? It's a cute question. I'm like, not asking a halacha question, but how would be, before we ask the question, how did Hashem destroy the Beis Hamikdash when Hashem told us last year you're going to bring it next year? Then Hashem destroyed the Beis Hamikdash. He's not keeping his word. But more than that, how do we cause a Jew not to be able to bring Bikurim by taking away his land when Hashem promised? So there, therefore, he says. But if it's a baskol, it's different because baskol, we know that when it comes to halachic matters. You know, sages many times heard these voices, these echo sounds from above, concerning a matter of halacha. You know, there are stories like that amongst the sages. When they had a debate and an argument between two sages and they wanted to go one way, and a heavenly voice came down and said, halacha is like this rabbi. And the rabbis decided to ignore that heavenly voice, even though there was no doubt where it's coming from. They said, you know what? The Torah is not in heaven. It's down here below. We don't listen to this. So you see that the baskol is nice. I'm sure on regular matters you always want to hear a baskol, but when it comes to halach, so if the law calls for taking away this guy's land, fine, baskol. Also, he says that when a baskol gives a bracha, if God forbid the person is unworthy later because of sins or whatever it is, it doesn't always have to materialize. It's not like God speaking to you directly. In other words, we need to have that Hashem is responding. Why? Because or else there's no midah keneged midah. There has to be a midah connected midah for everything, including the person's announcement. So there has to be an announcement. The question is, who's making the announcement? Is it the heavenly announcer or is it God himself? So Rashi pins it on the heavenly announcer because if you pin it on the heavenly announcer, it will actually answer many things. First of all, how we can tolerate that because it's not coming from Hashem himself. It's coming only from a baskel. Secondly, how is it that the year of the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed? It wasn't a problem because a blessing that comes from the announcer doesn't necessarily um, have to, if, if things get in the way, it could ruin it. Or, as we said earlier, the Beisden doesn't have to consider it when it comes to halach. Interesting discussion. Now, I just want to conclude with the mystical element of all of this, just very briefly. And here it is like this. He's, the Rashi over here is very consistent with the, with the mystical or, or higher Hasidic interpretation of these psukim. There is a mimer, there's a Hasidic discourse on Lakutei Torah. Beginning with the word, Hayoyim Hazeh, on this pasuk, Hayoyim Hazeh Hashem Alekecha Metzavcha. In this week's Parshas Kisavah, there's a mimer from Lakutei Torah from Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi. And Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, whose, whose birthday is going to be this week, Chayelo, 
just in a few days. The Alter Rebbe says that these words, Hayoyim Azeh Hashem Elokecha, is a continuation based on, again, he's not reading it on the, on the he's not running Pshat. He's giving you the deeper neshama. He's giving you the soul. Chassidus is the soul of Torah. And he says that the words, is a continuation to actually the last three words, the last four words. In other words, these two parshias are linked and, and intertwined one with each other. And he goes in to explain what the connection of Eretz Yisrael being a land of milk and honey has to do with today God commands you to do the commandments. It's a deep Hasidic discourse and we learned it once. So you can listen to the class and hear what the connection is. But he, de- but he says over there that these two psukim are linked. And that's exactly what Rashi is doing. Rashi is linking the Hayomaz, but to which words? Not to the entire pasuk that we just read, just to the last four words, Ered Zavas Chalavudvash, which we said, that's the reason why Rashi says that the next Pasuk, the blessing is referring to Bikurim, because it's connecting to the last four words. Right? But what's the main word? The f- it's connected to the whole phrase. Hayom, again, Ered Zavas Chalavudvash, a land that flows milk and honey. And we said the general idea of a land that flows milk and honey is connected to Bikurim. It's not connected to Miser, to tithing. It's connected to Bikurim. But the main, main word is the last word, Udvash. Because that's actually where you bring Bikurim. You bring Bikurim from those oozing dates that have the Dvash. So even though the entire last phrase connects to Hayoyim to this Pasuk, but the main and most important link is the word Udvash. That's what Rashi says, or that's implied from Rashi. Now let's look in Lakuti Torah, parallel, the mystical interpretation. You know what he says? He says this idea that the last four words, that this parsha is connected to the one before, how do you know that? He says, this, look, this, is, the, this is the Alter Rebbe. How do you know? He says, because look, the words Udvash, Hayoim, Hazer, Hashem, the first letters of these four words spell out Yudke Vavke. Which words? The last word in Pasuk 15, in Pasuk Tezvav, verse 15, and the first three words in Pasuk Tezayin. So let's see what the, what the first letters are. Uddavash starts with a vav. Hayoim starts with a hey. The Hazeh starts with a hey. And Hashem starts with a yud. So, what are the four letters? Vav, hey, hey, yud. So, the Alter Rebbe says you, you have four words together spelling out God's name, and that's an indication. That's what he says, that these two parshas are connected. If they wouldn't be connected, they wouldn't be having one, one name of God hinted to over the words. If the words are hinted to with one name of Hashem, and obviously if the Alter Rebbe says it's Hashem's name over there, it's not monkey business. He, oh, he found four letters. It's because there is a, it's because the Yudke Vavke is screaming from the Pasuk. It's not a little remez. It's actually jumping out. It is a real significant, true, um, purposeful yutke vavke that was put in that's conveying something very powerful. 
But on which word, which word do we grab from the previous Pasuk and connect to this Pasuk? Not the whole phrase, just the last word, Udavash. So that's consistent with Rashi's simple, you see? What, what, what the Rebbe is proving, what bringing out is that the Rashi simple interpretation is consistent with the mystical in Yanim. And it makes sense because the physical interpretations are always ramifications and derivatives. This world is a derivative of the spiritual world. So if something is true up there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to translate down here. But in this Rashi, we see it. How, the, how it's really making one thing. Let me just conclude with... with, with with a deeper idea here. In that mimer of the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe says that Hayoyim Hazeh, this day that's mentioned over here, today God commands you, which day are we referring to? Rashi says over here it means every day. Every day you should feel like the Torah and mitzvahs are new. That's what Rashi says. The Alter Rebbe in that mimer says that whenever it says in the Torah Hayom, which day is that referring to? To Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is always Hayom. Atem Nitzavim Hayom. You are standing today, next week's parsha. It's the week before Rosh Hashanah. It's referring to Rosh Hashanah. The Zohar says, every time it says Hayom, it's, it's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the big day. So we're saying that, so according to the mystical interpretation, Hayom Azeh Hashem Elokecha Metzavcha is referring to Rosh Hashanah. In which God is commanding you all commandments. Because that's when God, we accept God as a king on Rosh Hashanah. That's the whole theme of Rosh Hashanah. We're making God in Tarki. Rashi, however, is learning on the simple Pirush. What is this Pasuk referring to? Bikurim. This mitzvah that we're talking, God is commanding you the mitzvah. Which mitzvah? Bikurim. And the, and the blessing is on Bikurim. What's the connection between Bikurim and Rosh Hashanah? What's the relationship? Very simple. Rosh Hashanah is special because it's Rosh. It's the head, it's the beginning, it's the first. And Bikurim is special because Bikurim is what? The first. Bikurim and Rosh Hashanah are deeply linked, connected, and very, very, very intertwined one with each other. Rosh Hashanah and Bikurim, because they're both Rosh, they're both the first. Let's take it a bit deeper. You know, there are two things that are called first. Two things that are called first. The first is Bikurim. You bring a basket full to God. But there's another first gift. And that's Truma. And what do you do with Truma? Truma you give to the Kohen. Both of them are referred to as Rashis. Bikurim is referred to, this week in the parasha, you should take Adama. You should take from the first. So Bikurim is called Rashis. Truma, which you give to the Kohen, is also called Rashis. Rashis the Gancha, the first of your, of your crop, of your grains, you give to the Kohen. But which one is first? Bikurim or Truma? What's the order of giving it? First Bikurim and then Truma. So Bikurim, even though both are first, what's really the first? What's the first of the first? Bikurim is higher than Truma. Bikurim is number one, and Truma is number two. What do they symbolize? What does this represent in the greater, broader scheme of things? There are two things that are called racists 
two things that are first. The Torah is first. The Torah says about itself, Hashem kanani reishis darkoi. God acquired me in the beginning of His way. When He began, and even before He started the universe, God first produced the Torah. We know Torah kadma la'olam. Torah is before the world. So Torah is first. But then there is another first. The souls of Israel are also first. The Jewish people are called the first. Rashi says it right in the beginning of the Torah. Rashi says there are two things that are called racious. Torah and Yisrael. Torah and the Jewish people. But from the two that are called racious, what is higher? The Torah or the Jew? Who is higher? What comes first? So till the Baal Shem Tov came around, the Torah was first. That's why it's the Baal Shem Tov's birthday this week, Parshas Kisave. Because Parshas Kisave is the Parsha of Bikurim. Truma is Torah. Truma is, the, the Zohar says so. Truma is Torah. In the word Truma, you have the word Torah Mem, the Torah that was given to 40 days. Truma is, represents, is Torah. What Bikurim, it's a physical manifestation of the Jewish neshama. Of the Jewish neshama. Which one do we have to bring first? Bikurim or Truma? Bikurim is first. Why is Bikurim first? Because ultimately the highest and deepest innermost entity that exists is the Jewish souls, the souls of Israel. Even higher than the Torah. Elio Anavi says so openly in Tana Delvey Elio. But Elio Anavi says, not everybody knows this. You go to all the yeshivas, he says, they'll tell you differently. Elio says this. The world says, who's the world? The world is the, the Talmud HaChachamim, the people that... You'll go ask around, what's higher? Torah or the Jew? You have to sacrifice the Jew for the Torah. Most people will say that. Torah is nothing higher than the Torah. That's what the world says. And even though the Torah says that when it comes to a Jew's life, you sacrifice the Torah, but that's uh, whatever. But still, the, the Torah is the most important thing. The Baal Shem and the Eliyahu Navi says, but I say the Jews are first. The Jewish souls are higher. I say that. And if you're thinking about the holy Baal Shem Tov, we're honoring him, it's the same birthday as the Altar Rebbe, the 18th of El, what did he do to Judaism? He shifted Judaism. He literally shifted Judaism. He made the epicenter from Judaism the Jew, not the Torah. Tul the Baal Shem Tov is the Torah was the epicenter. You measured the value of a Jew based on how much Torah he knew. The Baal Shem Tov said the epicenter is the Jewish neshama. Why is Torah special? Because Jews study it. Why are mitzvah special? Because Jews do it. But the real inner point of the year is the Jew, nothing higher than the Yid. The Yid transcends the Torah. Because the Yid is Bikurim. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov is born this week's parasha, the Bikurim. Bikurim is revealed. Bikurim is higher than Torah. What's Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah, we go back to the beginning, beginning, beginning. Everything is undone on Rosh Hashanah. God reverses. God goes into rewind. He, un he rewinds all of existence. He, he unties himself to everything. He puts every... There's a, there is a setback. God goes back to, to his very, very, very prior state before he even... Before he creates a world, before he even has a want for creation. 
God even rewinds higher than the Torah. He rewinds all the way, all the way into his essence. And we have to start all over again. So how do we start all over again? We have to spark God's essence and pull him from his essence. The only ones who can do that are the Jewish soul. That's the shofar. The shofar is a mitzvah in the Torah, but what is the shofar? It's the sound of your soul. It's the sound of a Jewish soul. If you want to know what kind, a cow goes moo, and a sheep goes meh, and, and every animal, everything, and what's the Jewish neshama sound at the deepest point? The sound of the shofar. That's the weeping of the soul. That's the celebration. Of, that's the pleasure of the soul. The pleasure of what? The oneness of the neshama with God. That's its sound. And in Rosh Hashanah, that essence is revealed. And that's our Bikurim. Bikurim is that deepest point of oneness between Hashem and the Jewish people. And that's the Hayoyim Hashem Alekecha Metzav And I'm just going to conclude. There's more, there's more to the talk, which I don't have. I don't want to pull this too long but just one very, very, very important, beautiful idea. That explains how God can, give you a comm- God can give you a promise that you will do the mitzvah next year. Which is really of a problem because promises can be for reward, but you can't promise when it comes to matters of free choice. Mitzvahs, God gave us free choice. No? The whole idea of a mitzvah is that you, nothing is compelling you. You're free to choose to do the mitzvah or not do the mitzvah. So one of the things Hashem can't guarantee is whether we'll do the mitzvah because that's where God removed His jurisdiction. So how can there be a blessing? You did it this year, you'll repeat it next year. That seems to be an encroachment of freedom. If I'm already blessed by God, not just blessed, God said that I'm going to do it next year, I have to do it. So how can there be such a blessing when it comes to, when it comes to matters where you know, that, that, that person has free choice? So double layers, two layers. On the simple level, the Rebbe says something really significant. He says, Bikurim is a mitzvah that we're naturally inclined. Since the mitzvah is to Bikurim, that's what God gives the blessing for. Bikurim is a mitzvah that is not something that is against our nature. It actually is consistent with our nature. Because the nature of a human being is to be grateful. That's how nature if we're not grateful for the people who do nice things and good things, and we don't feel gratitude to people and we have the sense of entitlement, there is something corrupted with our psyche. It's not that a person has to work on making themselves grateful. The natural disposition of a human soul is to feel gratitude and to, to, and to, say, and to, feel, and to help someone who helped them. That is the natural state. If God forbid someone is not that way, it's because certain things in their life happen that cause they mess up in their psyche and that's why they're not that way. But the natural state is. And therefore, even though generally we say that God can't give a blessing for you to do a mitzvah, but a mitzvah that is so consistent with our nature, it's, 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 it's you know, even naturally we can expect that someone will do it. So it doesn't take too much overcoming Yetzahara. It's one of those mitzvahs that you would want to do so you can be blessed on it. Okay, that's on the simple level. But on the deepest level, on the deepest, highest level, this is the one mitzvah that, 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 that is talking about a part in our being. Where do we do Bikurim from? What's Bikurim? The mitzvah of Bikurim is our pure essence. Bikurim exp- expresses the essence of the Jewish soul, which is one with the essence of God. It's inseparable from Hashem. We are totally one. And that's the source of why we choose to do all the other mitzvahs. So this mitzvah is actually beyond choice. 
This is the, the, the core oneness, which is actually what makes us choose all the other mitzvahs. Why do we choose to put on tefillin? The Bikurim part in us makes us choose that choice, make that choice. Why do we choose to keep Shabbos? Why do we choose? It's a choice that we choose to do God, to do mitzvahs, to listen to God, is because at our core we are so godly, we are so one. So therefore, on this one mitzvah, there's no problem with it encroachment on choice because this mitzvah is the source of choice. This is we're all choosing. God chooses us on this level also. One of the things that happened on Rosh Hashanah, one of the great things that happened on Rosh Hashanah is that every year on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem chooses, chooses Israel again. And a, a real choice is when things are even. It's an amazing moment, Rosh Hashanah. It's so incredible. And one of the things that are given less attention is the fact that Hashem chooses us in Rosh Hashanah. What do I mean by that? Every year, God ra- 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 on Rosh Hashanah, is God, God's consciousness, if you can say, is elevated to a place where He is not impressed by any externals. Nothing phases him. He goes back so high, so deep, that nothing could impress upon him that he should like it because of this or because of that. On Rosh Hashanah, from the deepest innermost place, Hashem is operating completely from him. He, from his essence, is making a choice. On Rosh Hashanah, what's his choice? I choose to be the God of the... To, to be the king over the world, I choose my people, I choose my nation. I choose Israel to be my nation. Obviously, through the Jewish people, God becomes the king over the whole world, but God chooses Israel every year. Yifchar lono saying a very deep choice. You ever wonder, one of the readings of Rosh Hashanah, one of the reasonings of Rosh Hashanah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, God tells Avram to listen to Sarah. She's asking for something very difficult. Sarah is asking Avram to chase Yishmael out of the house. Godesh has been Drive the son of the maid out of the house. Kilo Yiddish. Because he will not inherit together with my son Yitzchak. A father needing to choose between his children. And Avram chooses and he kicks Yishmael out. He, did, he had a heavy heart. Didn't want to do that. God says do that. Why? And why do we read that on Rosh Hashanah? Because in Rosh Hashanah, Hashem chooses. Everybody's equal in Rosh Hashanah. The children of Yishmael, the children of Esav, and the children of... of We all come in front of God equally. And every Rosh Hashanah, Hashem chooses. He chooses Israel. Chooses the Jewish people. And we choose Him also, not because of any external factors. Our essence is revealed and we choose from a place where it's not because you were nice to me, good to me, you did this or I'm expecting anything. We choose Him, He chooses us from our essence. That's the shofar. And that's why Rosh Hashanah, and that's that's what Bikurim is. Bikurim is that level of Jew where we're one with the essence of God. That's why the other time that God chose us, when was the other time? At Sinai, God chose Israel. Ubanu Bacharta is referring to Shavuos. What is Shavuos called? Another name for Shavuos? Chag HaBikurim. The Yom Tev of Bikurim. Shavuos is the first day you can bring Bikurim. So again, because Bikurim and choice are very deeply connected. So here it is. 
It's ultimately, we know the end of the story. We know the end. The end is going to be really good. The Abishter is choosing. He's choosing, he's choosing a world. He's choosing a Beis HaMikdash. He's choosing Mashiach. He's choosing, he's choosing. And, and now, before the Shoshana, we go deep in ourselves to find within ourselves our choice. We're choosing to be Jewish. We're choosing to be godly and to be devoted and to love Hashem unconditionally. He, he loves us unconditionally. And it's not based on anything other than of His essence. The Bikurim comes out. And if that's the case, there's nothing to talk about. Even though there is judgment, and even though God measures us, it's all true. But there are much deeper motives that happen in Rosh Hashanah, much deeper than, 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 than the judgments and the tit for tat that happens in Rosh Hashanah. That's also true. We spoke today a lot about tit for tat and Bikurim and so on and so forth, but there's something very core essential that's revealed in Rosh Hashanah. We transcend it all to a place where, we're, where it's above everything. It's an essential choice. May the Abish to help that that essential choice should be revealed already before Rosh Hashanah. And the great love that Hashem has for the, as it says this week in the parsha, you have designated God, God has designated Israel, the Jewish people, and through us, may the love pour down for the entire humanity and for the whole world. May we see already the great Geula now, today, Mamish. Thank you.